apply your lip balm. Okay, let's start. I'm so excited about this episode because we get to talk about one of the greatest movies known to mankind. Motherfucking Robocop. <laughs> Everyone, welcome to episode nine of Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. This is my episode I'll be hosting, and the movie that I chose was, is Robocop. You're welcome. <laughs> robocop so last episode what did we talk about last episode i don't even remember anymore it was b movie that's right the greatest animated movie our most controversial episode yet oh everything that pixar makes today is based off of the aspirations that came after b movie it set the standard really i did not save myself from a a, a beating uh, you know it was my second episode and i was not safe from being assailed for my movie tastes. <laughs> Sorry. It's just mean. All right. Well, this this week we are going to talk about RoboCop. Like I said, one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, and if that gets cut out, let me say that again. One of the greatest ever movie ever. <laughs> one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> Keep cutting it out. Yeah. Since it's my episode and um, I was the first one to introduce a guest to our uh, to our podcast, I, I've I've decided that we're I'm going to go ahead and continue with that, and I've invited um, someone else to join us today. Uh, Josh Berthume is joining us. Everyone, say hi to Josh. Hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Hi, everybody. Josh is the owner and founder of Swash Labs, uh, a successful full service advertising agency located in Denton, Texas, uh, where him and his team tackle branding development, website development, graphic design, multi platform media buying. Josh also has a master's degree from the University of North Texas in political science and has also worked as a political risk analyst and open source intelligence analyst specializing in terrorism and violent risk in North America and Western Europe. Josh's writings has appeared in publications all over the U.S. of A. And you can see videos and read some of his amazing work at roguemetrics.com. You can also check out Swash Labs by visiting swashlabs.com. Should I spell that for everyone? S W A S H. <laughs> Labs. You'd be surprised how often people uh, have have a tr- have trouble with it. So yeah, SW. It's like wash with an S at the front, and then labs. Schwarz. Dot com. Uh, but most importantly, and I'm sure a highlight to his existence in this world was meeting me in I think maybe 2001, 2002, at the UNT School of Music, where we were both working on our music composition degrees, chasing dreams of giving Johnny Williams and Danny Elfman a run for their money. That's right. A degree I should say that um, neither of us really use today. It happens. Listen, I, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, is there anything I missed? Anything you want to add? I, I, I didn't do so well at the introduction of our, our last guest, so I, I maybe have overcompensated on this one. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, the whole podcast is your intro. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Credits. Um, no, uh, I think we probably met earlier than that. You think? Because, uh, I think it was 99. Oh, um, probably because I was at, well, I was at Berkeley for two years and then I came back, but then you and I were me and you and Jeff cook and, uh, the whole gang were, were messing around there before 
um, before 9-11, and 9-11 is when I ended up going into political science and doing all the other stuff. Gotcha. My memory's so. not so good. I'm a, I'm very old and, and confused most of the time. <laughs> yep. And apparently I'm I'm just stuck in the 80s as far as movies are concerned. <laughs> yeah, it would appear so. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we got a lot. There's a, there's a, there's a whole decade of, of stuff that you you two just haven't seen. You two, uh, Maddie and Holden, hasn't seen. And I feel like it's important that we get through that era before we get to some of the more modern movies that I actually like that you haven't seen. You got to build you got to build the foundation before you can put a bridge on top of it. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, today on this podcast talking about RoboCop. Are you ready? Yeah. I think so. Robust cop. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer assisted memory and a lifetime of on the street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop. Robocop, the future of law enforcement. In July of 1987, Orion Pictures released a gift to the film world. That gift was Robocop. The studio was also responsible for releasing uh, other amazing 80s films like Terminator, Three Amigos, Platoon, First Blood. Caddyshack, Amadeus, Thermama from the Train, Bull Durham, and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm. Oh, wow. Just one hell of a run. Oh, and Ted, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> this movie in particular, Robocop, was highly praised at the time by critics for its slick direction and its grace, great use of satire. Before we get into the movie, let's talk about a couple other things that were happening in, in 1987. Josh, you and I were the only ones in this in this group alive at this time. So if, uh, if you remember any of this and stuff and want to comment on any of it, please feel free. I was negative five. So I was 10 years old. I'd probably, I mean, I, I kind of remember some of this stuff, but not really all of it. Mostly I was concerned about what was happening with the GI Joes and, uh, mm. what was going on with the transformers. Mm. So with the GI Joes and the transformers. <laughs> yeah. All right. 1987. Uh, one of the most famous events in 1987 was President Reagan challenges Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall in West Berlin. Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev sign a treaty eliminating medium-range nuclear missiles. This was all. Was this kind of the tail end of the Cold War, perhaps? Yeah, this is late Reaganism. Uh, this is after the Soviet Union is now sort of in its downward spiral. It is, uh, and I'm going to double check myself on the timeline here, but they have been dabbling in world uh, theaters of war outside of the Cold War with the United States uh, in an effort to try and have proxy wars with the United States. So uh, if you've seen Charlie Wilson's war uh, slash are aware of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, this is happening right around that time. It is late Reaganism. This is like after Iran-Contra and all that sort of stuff has sort of happened. And this was kind of his... Uh, the last two years of his second term were sort of his sprint to like save the legacy and do these major foreign policy things, which mostly involved clowning on the Soviet Union. Uh, Gorbachev was uh, trying to like was trying to admit that a lot of things about the Soviet Union weren't working economically and in terms of global foreign policy, while at the same time actually 
I, I think a, acknowledging that some things had to change domestically, um, a lot of domestic change came by way of foreign policy. So if you if you ever see videos of like crazy stuff that happened in the 80s, you'll see like the first blue jeans, like the first Levi's that showed up in the Soviet Union or the first McDonald's that opened in the Soviet mm. Union. And there's lines around the block and everything. Public wow. opinion in Russia was like, we want capitalism. We would like to have... Uh, Yankee blue jeans and hamburgers and stuff like that. But a lot of that is because life was just grim in the Soviet Union for a lot of people. Uh, and they they were op- they spent a lot of the, the last half of the 80s operating from a position of weakness. So that allowed Reagan to do this kind of stunting as a habit tour of tear down this wall and Berlin Wall came down and that really sort of signaled uh, the end of the, uh, like the, the power of the Soviet Union and then the actual Soviet Union was dissolved uh, not too long thereafter in the very early 90s. Guys, this is totally why I asked Josh to come on this podcast. <laughs> we are all going to learn some really cool shit. <laughs> I've, I've panicked and I like opened up a new notes tab to start taking notes <laughs> because I felt like I needed to know this well, later. But, so the context of what was happening entertainment-wise is really important because Reagan... And the United States winning the Cold War, which is really how it was framed up, was sort of the delivery of American exceptionalism. Uh, Josh, was, keep in mind that this is an, uh, not a visual medium, so people can't actually see you do the finger quotes. The finger quotes? Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it, it, this was, this was the, the culmination of, of a sort of what the whole ethos for the Cold War was in the first place, which was American exceptionalism and we have the divine right to do whatever we want and we're big and bad and we've got this huge economic growth and that means we're going to go around the world and uh, force democracies on people and overthrow governments and do all this sort of stuff. So Reagan really like brought that to a, a culmination by, and I'm throwing finger quotes around this, winning the Cold War. Yeah. And that is reflected so directly in American-made action movies and American-made mm. Um, sort of adventure movies, uh, and you, you like pretty much like Iron Eagle, Iron Eagle Two, Commando, like half of the stuff that Schwarzenegger was in, half the stuff Stallone was in. All of this was this vision of like what was good about the experiment of America and the idea of America. Eventually, was like truly corrupted by this weird capitalist adventurism that people wanted to to sell as. American exceptionalism, but really just turned out to be uh, everything in the world is an American interest and we're going to control as much of it as we can, which is why you see like series of movies start at a place like Rambo First Blood did, which was Mm. this incredible statement about how we treated Vietnam veterans from a war of misadventure and misguided foreign policy and just hella war crimes by a lot of people that were in the executive branch and like the unjust treatment of those veterans when they came home. By the time you get to Rambo three, he's murdering entire villages with a machete and like blowing up stuff with explosive tipped arrows. First blood is a movie that I'm going to guess that Maddie and Holden have not seen. I think it is on our list to potentially view in the future. We'll have to ask you back when we get to that get to that movie <laughs> there there's a there's a thing where if you think about like you see stallone do some stuff out in the world you're like why do people let him do that it's because like what he did with rocky and rambo were like truly cinematic magic tricks and incredibly like american storytelling that was very compelling and very true and very gritty and like really uh subversive 
and mm. and like what the expected and understood vision of what America was back then, and then it became this other thing. It just turned into Red Dawn and and uh, careful. And just, don't, R- Rocky is also on the list, so don't give them any don't give him any hints. He wins the fight, right? He wins the fight. He's got to, right? We're not I'm, we're not saying anything about Rocky. We'll discuss that yeah. down the road yeah, yeah, whenever yeah. we get to it. Well, so I want to see if I'm I want to see if I'm interpreting this correctly. So what this essentially is is in this era uh, is people capitalizing on this American exceptionalism, basically like the mythos of America as as like collectively and as a constructed anthropomorphic thing being on a hero's journey. So it's like the transition between us feeling this power and feeling great and vindicated by our actions. And then come is, is RoboCop kind of coming along in this era of realizing kind of the lie that we've been fed. Uh, hang on, hang on. Oh, <laughs> Hold off on that question. I'm going to get us back on Dang track it. here. We're right. destroying John's outline. No, please say that we will get to that later because keep in mind that this was directed by v- Paul Verhoeven, who is Dutch. So he has an outsider's opinion potentially to the American culture at this time. And I want to get into that later. So here's the rest of the cultural context. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, the U S Supreme court rules that schools teaching evolution do not need to teach creation or creationism. Uh, the FDA approves the sale of AZT, a treatment for AIDS. Uh, Aretha Franklin becomes the first female artist to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nice. Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. Can you pronounce... Les Miserables. Pronounce that for us, uh, Maddie. Les Miserables. Thank you. Blah. Opens for over 4,000 performances at Broadway and Imperial NYC. Uh, this is also topical to a previous episode, the director of Twilight Zone... John Landis is found innocent of involuntary manslaughter in the death of three actors after a stunt helicopter crashes. Maddie is losing her mind. Right he now. should he should not have been found innocent. This <laughs> this makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. Yeah. So if you haven't one, seen if, the movie, but if you're wondering what we're talking about, you can go back and listen to the uh, Poltergeist episode. We kind of touch on that briefly. The music video for Michael Jackson's "Bad" premieres on CBS TV. I guess based on the success of ba- success of Bad, Michael Jackson then uh, uh, d- decided to attempt to buy the remains of the Elephant Man, because you know, like his 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 bone, his bo- his dead John body? Merrick, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Attempts was he successful? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. And this was the I think this was kind of the beginning of the red flags as far as Michael Jackson was concerned. Mm, poor guy. Um, <laughs> This is for my brother. George Michael's debut album, Faith, is released. Uh, you're welcome. Nothing but bangers. Oh, totally. That's a great song. The top five highest grossing movies of 1987 were Beverly Hills Cop 2, Fatal Attraction, Platoon, Three Men and a Baby, and The Untouchables. But I don't think that those are the standout movies of that year to me. I think they are Predator, Dirty Dancing, Full oh. Metal Jacket, Spaceballs, The Running Man, The Lost Boys, The Princess Bride, and Raising Arizona. I've only seen those last two. Uh, and uh, don't forget La Bamba. Oh. 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 Can't forget that one. Think about all that movie. Like, all that movie coming out in one year. There's. This is a fantastic it's year a fantastic for movies. fantastic year for movies. Okay, The but- 80s, hold on. Not only was this a fantastic year for movies, I believe the 80s was just a fantastic time to be alive. Maddie Holden, I'm sorry you missed out. <laughs> hey, you know, watching these movies and seeing it through a cinematic lens, you know, maybe I'd miss the 80s and I haven't even lived them. 
So, Josh, yeah, 1987. What were you getting up to in 1987? <sighs> uh, let's see here. In 1987, I would have been eight, so I would have been in second grade, second grade, third grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. And my young life, and I realize this now, is having a kid of my own who is now ten, who is a huge genre horror fan. And I'm like, I'm responsible for having planted this seed, <laughs> but now it's like a constant knife fight negotiation to like decide what is okay to like, What's see next. Okay? and right. I'm not like with, this is not like a super like sensory household. Like I'm not like, I got to protect you from this cause it's too violent or there might be a boob in it or like, I don't, I try not to do that, but because of the kind of movies she likes, it's like very much about imagery. Like what's going to scare her too much or yeah, like how to, totally. she's very smart. She's incredibly well-read. Like she can see all these movies. So like now, right now we're working our way through M night Shyamalan's catalog. Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, right in my wheelhouse. And she like flipped out at the end of the sixth sense and was so mad and was like, I'm going to sue M night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> what a cool kid. Right. No, she loved it. Like she was so like was so far into it. She did not like the visit. She was like, this is gratuitous at the end of it, which is real. She's got a big did, vocabulary. Did Anyways, she like, did she like signs? She loved signs. Signs is her favorite one so far, which is that, oh, like, yes, like John line. in your face. Also yeah, yeah, one yeah. of your favorites, Holden. Is that correct? Oh, it's my favorite movie. I realize now that my parents, because I was the second kid and my older brother was eight years older than me. And I, uh, I know now through, I'm 42 years old now. So like the, the storytelling in a family happens where I was not expected. Like I was, uh, uh, they were not, they did not, they were not in the market for another kid. (laughs) Um, and they had a real hands-off approach to your boy. So my brother who was 16 years old when I was eight was watching a lot of things that an eight year old should not have been able to watch. Yeah. From I like I knew every line in lethal weapon. I'd seen every Rambo movie. Uh, ah. Faces of death was like a thing we'd go around. Oh, oh my gosh. These critters, the stuff, uh, the blob. Hold on. There's a big chasm between faces of death and ghoulies, though. <laughs> well, no, there. That, that's true. But it's just there's a there's like I got into 80s genre horror because that's what my brother yeah. would like rent. And he was really into like Iron Eagle and uh, Rocky. Oh, Iron and Eagle was the best. Come on. Iron Eagle. Like if I didn't know how problematically entirely thoroughly racist it is now, oh. I would be like, "Yeah, that movie kicks a lot of ass," but it's uh, very, it's extremely <laughs> terribly. Let me uh, let me walk that back. Let me walk it back. I haven't seen it in twenty five <laughs> years. Yeah, so John. Well, God. but it's part of this. Like every movie in the eighties that had anything to do with the Middle East that was made in America that starred an American star was incredibly racist oh. and it was mm. just terrible orientalism. Like every Brown guy is bad and, mm. uh, they're all just, and, but that stereotype persists today. Yeah. Like yeah. you can't, you can't watch a TV show that involves anything about the middle East without being like, well, okay, every Arab on this uh, screen is going to be a bad guy. Right. Mm. Or you, or like they, or at the very, like maybe the best case scenario is they subvert that, that expectation, but don't really try and solve it. So anyways, um, I was watching a lot of these things and I think about child's play nightmare on Elm street. Uh, Friday the 13th was one of my brother's favorites. And like, he was way into watching that. We had a cable box, the kind that had the key on the top. And like, you guys don't know what this means, but this was like old school, 
Like you had to unlock the good channels. It was gas cable. powered. You had to start it up like an automobile. Basically, no yeah, it had a ripcord. No, it didn't really have a ripcord, but it, was, <laughs> it, was like it did have like a like, like a, a physical key. No, that sounds made up. Yeah, no, that's real. That's absolutely real. And that's how you got to the good channels, which was HBO. <laughs> so we didn't have we didn't have the box with the key. We just didn't have HBO. But every every blue moon there was the free HBO weekend, and I think that that's pretty much how I saw all these movies. And I did have the older cousin who oh. who every time we went to visit grandparents, like he would have or he would rent all the he would rent. We saw Terminator that way. We saw just a bunch of these movies that way. See, I had Real Choice Video, the VHS rental trailer at the end of our road oh oh pre-blockbuster yeah they, uh, yeah we there was i don't even when, when did blockbuster even i don't even remember was but, it just um, like some dude's personal collection well no it was like you could be the like it originally started out you would rent vcrs or betamax and then you would have tapes to like go along with because you couldn't buy VHS tapes because back then VHS tapes cost like a hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. <laughs> we we even rented the VHS player. So we would rent all of our movies from the grocery store, Jamail. Yes. Yep. Yep. You could rent movies at the grocery store too. That's, That's right. where we rented our VHSs until until privately owned <laughs> VHS rental houses started showing up in the neighborhood. Yeah. You could rent the VHS player from the grocery store, have it for the weekend. Yep. And then send send it all back together. And the deposit was you had to give them like a three hundred dollar check that they wouldn't deposit unless you didn't bring it. Back. Unless you didn't <laughs> it was bring like the VHS for player back. Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's like your it's like your security deposit. It yeah, came, it came in, this in this black giant black plastic case. So Real Choice Video was not actually in '87. It was a little bit after that because when we moved to Kleber and we lived in this road, and then the trailer at the end of the street was the video rental place, and the the woman that owned it was the mother of my brother's best friend, his junior and senior year in high school, who I'm still friends with now. And they used to let me like go through the catalog and pick which movies I wanted them to have for rental, and they had them arranged by genre in the catalog, so I could be like. <sighs> horror this that all these sorts of things and i'd always make sure to like pick a couple of uh thrill my mom loved like weird sexy thrillers with like people that were like sort of bootleg bootleg meg ryan's and stuff and it was like a crime drama but also like some romance i'd be like oh yeah get these for mom you know and then she'd have a mom movie and then i'd make her watch some sort of mutant like terrible she'd have a mom movie. sci-fi yeah terrible sci-fi <laughs> thing and that was what i did like every friday and saturday night like for uh, years was this is was I don't want to derail, but this just makes me incredibly uh, nostalgic and makes me miss physical media and just the tangible nature of watching and renting and all of that. My mom died eleven years ago from cancer, and one of the clearest memories I have of her is I I had we had moved, and it was like the first couple of times we had gone to the the trailer, and there was a I wanted to rent Ghoulies. And I was having a tough time with the new school because I was weird and I talked about genre horror movies and had long hair and we lived in Texas and all that sort of stuff. We didn't go to church, like all these kinds of things. And I was talking about like sci-fi books and movies and they were like, this kid is super weird. So I was having a tough time. And uh, I came home one Friday from like the worst possible day you could have in fourth grade, which was just like, I used to get picked on. I used to get my butt kicked all the time. I came home and I'd had a terrible day. And she was like, well, I have a surprise for you. And she had gotten ghoulies. Like she had made sure that... <sighs> By, like the lady called when Ghoulies came in so she could bring it home. And then we sat down and watched it. Ghoulies is not a good movie, but I was so, mm -hmm. I was so pumped to get to watch it. And it was like a nice, 
that was a nice thing. So I'm nostalgic for physical media uh, as well. We had the we had the the, the VHS rewinder because mm. mm. you had didn't one rewind them when you took them back, and so you had that. But you didn't want to put too many miles on your VCR, so you had the separate little thing that would rewind the VHS. Mine Anyways. was uh, mine was an old Chevy Bel Air. Yeah, 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 yeah. Josh, do you have any memories of seeing RoboCop for the first time? I just, I didn't understand it on a very deep level. And for maybe the first half of my life, my favorite character by far, it's not even close in RoboCop was Clarence Boddicker. Right. Mm. Cause utter confidence, <laughs> funny, like unflappable, but like really playing against type. And this is one of the things that I like so much about RoboCop is all the major American action movie tropes. Anyone that does like super macho stuff immediately gets punished horribly stuff mm-hmm. that really works out in other big action movies. Doesn't ha- doesn't work out. And Clarence Boddicker is not like the tiny, like little evil guy that throws all the switches. Like he gets his hands dirty. He's out there like doing work himself, but he's not your normal action movie bad guy well what have we here you a good cop hot shot <laughs> sure you are why you gotta be some kind of great cop come in here all by yourself he's like he's just a regular guy <laughs> but I he has all this what? attitude what is he on that 70s show? He's everyone's favorite TV Red dad. Foreman. Red Foreman. Everyone's <laughs> favorite TV dad, Red Foreman. <laughs> Kurtwood Smith. One, mm. of, one of the, like, such a great character actor. Yeah. Phenomenal. Ooh, guns, guns, guns. Come on, Sal. Tigers are playing. Two nights. I probably didn't see it until it came out highly edited on television. So probably the PG-13 sort of version. So it wasn't until much later in life, probably college, that I actually saw the fully unrated director's cut, which is a comp- almost an entirely different movie. I can't Just imagine the, the amount <laughs> what, what, of what's what's in the what's in the edited version. Yeah, what's even edited, left? <laughs> I mean, they well, cut so a good example of this is like Murphy's death scene. Oh, I, I read yeah. about that. It's just like him yelling and then slam cuts of them shooting shotguns and then back to him like yelling and like wiggling. And they don't really show you anything. Like it's just barely implied that uh, Boddicker shoots him in the hand. Right. His whole arm is shot off. Yeah, but you don't that they don't show that at all. Wow. Okay. This was a whole thing that they used to do. They knew that this stuff was going to eventually be released on television, so they would actually go back and redub cuss words. They would mm. Well, and the pan and scan on this on the TV version is incredible because the whole like and I really like I want to get to a place where we talk about the body horror element of this movie, but yeah. the the POV when he's on the table and they're they're working on him, mm-hmm. like this head wound is super gnarled, right? Like they and, yeah. and you see it in the full version, just gross the whole way. They pan and scan that so it's just his eye, right? When they're working on him on the table, which actually is more disturbing. Oh, <laughs> oh, than the big head wound. Here is the official IMDb synopsis of RoboCop. Uh, In a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. Terminally wounded? Yeah, that's. We'll get into that later because I want to. He's dead. I know. (laughs) 
we'll bring that terminal, up. Terminal, terminally wounded. Oh, wounded, but I'm. Ter- yeah, how this movie treats uh, its gun violence victims is really interesting. Um, this movie is starting Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai, Nancy Allen as the <laughs> as the girl that pours pig's blood all over Carrie in the movie Carrie, uh, Kurtwood Smith as Red Foreman, Ray Wise as Leland Palmer, Ronnie Cox as Cohagen, Total Recall Pull, you're totally welcome, and Paul McCrane as the t- Toxic Avenger. This movie is also, was directed by Paul Verhoeven, who directed Total Recall, Basic Instinct, and the classic movie Showgirls. Basil Paladoris did the music. In Basil Paladoris. This score is amazing. For, it's incredible. Yeah, it's so good. Basil Paladoris' uh, catalog also includes The Hunt for Red October, amazing. Starship Troopers, Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn, Iron Eagle, and Free Willy. Conan the O'Brien. <laughs> Conan the O'Brien. <laughs> Conan the O'Brien. Rob Button uh, did the special makeup effects and designed the Robocop suit. He uh, just came off of the movie The Thing and he was hired to do this movie. If you hadn't seen The Thing, the, the makeup effects, the special effects in that movie are out of this world. So he did, oh, he did all the practical so effects? Yes. I want to say the suit looks badass. The I want to wear that great. thing. It I doesn't look very thing. comfortable at all. No. But still, this movie was shot in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it was standing in for Detroit. There were 22 locations in and around Dallas that were used for filming. Uh, the only actual showing of the Motor City itself is in the opening, and that was stock footage. Yeah, you can see Reunion Tower in the background, and he's very clearly on the Mixmaster. Like, yeah, multiple yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. which You're I like. Love. I love that Dallas, Texas is dystopian future of what Detroit could turn into. Right? <laughs> yeah, like they're they're shooting in Dallas and they're like, all right, don't show any iconic buildings that would give it away. And you're like, the Reunion Tower and whatever the IMP building that has, you know, the triangle yeah. at the top is like, yeah. that's iconic Dallas buildings. But Also, keep in mind, they shot in Dallas in August and Peter Weller had to wear that RoboCop suit. Oh, fuck. In the middle of Texas summer. Horrible. No. Done. He, he Done. would lose eight pounds a day. <gasps> I, I, I read that it was three, but all in, in, in water weight from sweating. Put yeah. me in there, coach. Put me in oh, there. No, no, no. We no, no, all no. need no. RoboCop uniforms. Turns <laughs> out. Uh, this movie was made for a modest budget of $13 million. Uh, its total gross was $53 million. And it doesn't sound... That's obviously not numbers that we hear today, but this mm-hmm. was considered a, a massive, massive success at the time. Almost, almost ten percent of the total budget was spent on the suit. I believe that. I, yeah, it was a million dollars for the suit. Five five hundred thousand to a million. There's speculation. It kind of, kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. So based on those returns, they then immediately went on to run the series into the ground as quickly as possible. There were two sequels. One of the second one again is is not bad. It's worth watching. It's pretty interesting and pretty cool. The third one is total garbage. Ninjas are in the third one. Mm. Yeah, I was wanting to know if the iterations of RoboCop after this uh, hold any weight. RoboCop 2 is a little bit more cyberpunk and is a little more dark because there's like a competing RoboCop program. Darker than this one somehow, yeah. Darker Mm. than this one somehow. And then the third one is just silly. Oh. Based on the success of this movie, there was a cartoon which came out the year <laughs> after, 
And then uh, an eventual uh, remake in 2014 uh, directed by Jose Padilla. I, I do want to bring this up. I don't really have this any other place in the notes. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but I was nine when I saw this. This movie was not marketed for children, but it became and it turned into this. And this was something that happened in the 80s a lot where these these movies would come out, these R-rated movies would come out and then they would the it would then be sort of spun into like uh, either a cartoon or they would have a toy line cabinet toy, video games toy lines were huge thanks to star wars so everyone was trying to capitalize on this i would have wanted a robocop toy uh, absolutely it was fantastic but i don't think that that is something that would happen now mm. but it was definitely something that's happening then so i can see how that would kind of confuse a populace as to this is not a children's movie it's very much being marketed for children if you ever went to go watch it you're your head might explode at the, at the, the source material. Hmm. Now, I will say that as a fully grown man, I have gone hunting for well-sculpted like miniatures or models or maquettes of like a bust or uh, oh. like a statue of the, yeah. of like the suit and everything. Just, I have, so, I have a couple oh, of little collectible so cool. Robocops. His, uh, w- one of them, his head fell off, but uh. oh, the inner, <laughs> the inner, yeah, the inner kid in me is like bursting forth from my chest. I would want just like a detail the, in the design of this characters and the design of the robots are absolutely incredible. Um, and I, I, we can talk a little bit more about that. That's actually one of the first talking points I want to get into, but before we do that, just about ready to get started. Right. I would love to get, let's keep this real general, but I want to get, and I'm especially curious to know how Maddie felt um, about watching RoboCop. I thought it was a riot, laughed the whole way through, makes so much more sense within the context of its time and within the context of, because I didn't, I knew nothing about it going in. I didn't realize it was satire. So the moment it clicked for me, this is satirical. I enjoyed it way more. I really, really liked it. It started hitting that I really liked it when um, he is first put in the RoboCop costume and he's they're going through all the trials of like shining a light in his eye and doing buttons and running, you know, yeah. tests on him. But then like when it hits and you're seeing RoboCop from this really distantiated perspective and you're seeing him from behind the fence and they're talking about him and all the police officers yeah. are running to go and get a look at RoboCop. I was like, Oh, this is really yes. well done. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be really good. Like I yeah. And also it being shot in Dallas, I don't know why why it being closer to me in proximity m- makes me like it more, but like seeing oh, like <laughs> I don't know what that made me like it. I mean so he much recognized more. every location, I will say. I f- believe this movie is lightning in a bottle. And based on our chosen professions, I think it would be a disservice uh, if we didn't talk about how this sausage is made. I want to start with the writing. That kind of jumps immediately off of what Josh was just talking about. Fun fact, the writer wrote this script after watching Blade Runner, where police were chasing down robots. He posited the question, what if the police were the robots? Which apparently was before Ridley Scott then added material into the movie to tease that Deckard was a replicant as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Spoilers. Well, yeah. Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Have we mentioned that in this one? Uh, do we need to mention yeah. it every time that we spoil yeah, we're gonna, everything? It's going to happen. If you haven't seen the movie, do yourself a favor, go watch it, come back and listen to this because you'll spoilers, you'll spoilers. you'll be happy you did. Honestly, yeah. this is a movie called RoboCop. On the surface, <laughs> it screams B movie 
you know, <laughs> straight to home movie. It set my expectations. Right. Like RoboCop, dumb name. Like I can already, I can tell you what this movie's going to be about. Quite literally about a robot cop. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right on yep. Front Street. Cut and dry. There's so many places <laughs> where this could have gone horrifically wrong. Oh, yeah. So many beats, so many tonal things that could have gone wrong. I I know that uh, from like reading a little bit about the movie that they the script went through a bunch of rewrites and they thought about doing all this different stuff. But it seems like they really retained this this like clarion, clear crystal idea right from the beginning and just stuck right to that. And I and I love that the the premise is deceptively simple. And then they 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 ask and attempt to answer a lot of big questions wrapped in an action movie. Like, that's so cool, and it's mm. so much harder to do right. <laughs> than I think people realize. Mm. Maddie, what do you think? Yeah, I thought, I think it's clever. Um, I think the what really drives the satire home is the um, interspersed little commercials in there, you know, mm-hmm. for products like Nukem. Um, right. What, what's their catch yes, line? Like, get them before they get mm. you or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, get them before they get you. The 6,000 sucks car that has terrible gas mileage. Um, right. I, yeah, I thought a lot of it was really, really clever. I will say it was very predictable. Um, oh, I don't know how she far, was, how was, far were we into the movie where I was like, let next, me guess, next, next, next he thing. gets horribly, um, injured and then they turn him into RoboCop, you know? Well, so, but that's as soon as he okay, was on I know the that's probably easy to figure I mean, out. You, you, you got to know that he's got to turn into RoboCop. It's <laughs> that, I mean, that was the line for the movie was here. half man, half robot. I I didn't right. know that. I knew nothing about this movie. Um, <laughs> that yeah. one's built into the title, though, Maddie. Yeah, but you know, so, like you got to be twenty minutes of the movie. Like <laughs> one of these dudes gonna end up as a RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Holden, Holden, what do you think? Uh, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about that I thought was very modestly done, but you didn't need any more information was giving Murphy his backstory with his wife and with his kid. And they basically use the same shots for, for any flashbacks or any memories that he has. But all you really get as a peek into his backstory is him coming into the, you know, the police department and telling him, telling them he's a transfer and then the the short memory spurts that he has when he's getting killed and when he's touring through his home that's right. for sale and i loved this modest bite-sized approach to like i feel like today we would have been taken into a swooping flashback where we would have had multiple m- new characters and this new timeline set where we're learning about Murphy's backstory and why he loves his wife and how much his kid wants him to be like the super cop that he is right. today. Like, I, I don't feel like that's ever done. And the reason why I agree that this is a great movie is how modestly that's written and how we just, we, there's nothing that's in excess and there's nothing that I feel like I need more well, and of they definitely from this that movie. In the remake. Oh, totally. And the one mm. of the, like, I think one of the existential, like, slash body horror slash sci-fi questions that they answer by by only giving you enough to contextualize that he is having these memories and he, and he realizes now what he's lost is that you don't need to humanize him more than knowing that he's a human 
that has right. had this horrific thing done to him, and now he is a fully owned piece of property, right? Absolutely right. horrific. It's enough to know he has a kid and that he has a wife, and they just have to show you enough of that. And if you if you do more than that, then then you overcook it. Right. This is a very tight script. This is a hundred minute movie. It gets in and gets out. It's it is really dense, but you're right. They don't feel it's necessary to kind of really linger on any of these things. And I think that that's kind of to its benefit. It's so economical. And mm-hmm. I think the least economical moment in the movie is the one moment that deserves it. And it's when Joe Cox um, is peeing upstairs in the, in the steel mill and Lewis comes up behind him and he's like, you mind if I've zipped this up? And then it's like this shot just lasts forever of them, like staring at each other's eyes. <laughs> And then she like looks down and then he slaps the gun away. That scene feels like it's five minutes long, but it's just terrific. (laughs) His laugh, his laugh. The Joe Cox modified um, Wilhelm scream when he falls off in the battle with uh, uh, the the cocaine dealer is like one of my favorite things. Anyway, yeah. Let's oh, since we're talking about an actor, let's let's talk about the acting. Um, Maddie, I feel like you might have some thoughts on this. Oh, I don't know. It, I mean, to me, it was like standard eighties eighties acting, you know. Mm. Uh, and this is something that's kind of come up, especially with my movies. Maddie is. Um, I wonder why this. I, I I I kind of I feel like you might, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But how do you define eighties acting versus modern acting? You got rewarded a lot for like chewing scenery and being way over the top. Yeah. I mean, just very broad, very, you know, false, I guess. Would you believe that Peter Weller spent three months studying with a uh, a mime instructor from Juilliard to get his movements right for being a robot? I would believe that. I would believe That's that. That's another thing about, I mean, maybe it's just the particular movies you've chosen, John, but 80s movies, it seems very like physical, Right, there's a lot of there's an emphasis on physical acting rather than um, it's all outward. It, there's no, it's all outside and not inside. Right, like it's uh, right. I was just gonna say, I think one of the most underrated performances in the whole film is Johnson, the guy on the OCP board. Right, he is like the Greek chorus, and he's our avatar for the audience all the way through the film because he is just observing these things happen and he gives you these little bits of exposition. Well, is that the guy who at the end was like laughing at um, Jones getting killed? Yes. And he's like, he's like getting ready to, yeah, he's getting ready to like be excited. And then like with the part when RoboCop is walking out, he's like, go Robo. Like he's just pleased to be there. And he like has the, has the baby food. And you know, he's, he gives you all of the context for all of the palace intrigue at OCP and just sets the scene. Like he, like he flits between being the perfect Greek chorus for everything that happens in the corporate world of the movie. But then he's also like us in Mm -hmm. the scene and like where we get to sort of see things through him. And it's just this genius bit of writing. And that guy, like, he has maybe three and a half minutes of screen time. Right. But the work he does in those three and a half minutes is so, so good. His digestive system is extremely simple. This process of dispense is a rudimentary paste that sustains his organic system. Tastes like baby food. Knock yourself out. I want to ask a question of filmmakers because you guys make movies and I am love yes. movies, but I'm not a filmmaker. 
there are things about Murphy's character when he is cop Murphy before he becomes RoboCop that I think tell us a ton about who he is from everything from his general operating philosophy all the way up to like a sense of moral vanity or these sorts of things. And I think the best Mm -hmm. encapsulation of that is when they're at the coffee shop, like right after they leave and like, he's, he's like not macho and Lewis is super macho. Right. And Murphy is careful and he does, he's a rule follower. He does things by the book when he gets in the car, when he's like, I'm a badass. I'm going to break in a new partner. I'm going to drive. But then he very carefully puts his seatbelt on. And then when they're in the coffee shop and she comes out with a coffee and he's spinning the gun and she's like, pretty cool moves, Murphy. And he starts telling her a story about how. Uh, yeah, well, my son Jimmy watches this cop show, TJ Laser, and this laser guy does this every time he takes down a bad guy. So naturally, my, my kid thinks every good cop should be. And you don't want to disappoint him. Yeah, well, role models can be very important to a boy. And then when he's done spinning the gun you see him put the clip in the gun. So he took the clip out of his gun and was doing it like safely, but was doing these things. So that tells me so much about his character, how like being a cop is real serious to him, but he follows rules and he wants to be safety. But he has this aspirational thing where he wants to be like, he has a, like a, like a desire or like a journey to kind of be like a badass cop or to be something his Mm. kid could look up to and not just a cop. And, and he sees that he you, he lives in a world where people that take irrational macho risks get punished and he gets blown to pieces because he does that like he the one thing he made mm. like the one bad decision he makes is what results in him getting done so the my question is the little <laughs> character moments like uh when he puts the seatbelt on or when he like puts the the clip in the gun does that come from the actor or does that come from the director or does it depend I, I mean, I have very specific thoughts on this, but uh, Maddie, do you want to talk from the acting standpoint? Well, I don't know how much of it came from the script as well, right? But to me, I feel like it's really a collaboration between actor and director. You know, like that's kind of a conversation where, you know, the actor would bring their, um, you know, their research into the character and their, you know, thoughts and feelings on the character to the director. And the director would say, here's what I think. And that's how I think of it is like a collaboration. Right. What were you going to say, John? I think it is a testament to what an extremely talented director and an extremely talented actor can bring to a role. They go granular with kind of how they want to present this character. And I think that that speaks to the movie in general is like how much care went into its creation. And I, I think you can tell how much the director cared about these details. And I think that that resonates. And I think that it, it the amount of work that they put into this movie, you can see it on the screen. It's made with love. It's undeniable. Taking it even a step further, you can see when people don't care. When If you, <laughs> if you ever make it to RoboCop 3, you will know right away <laughs> how much Peter Weller brought to the character, how much Paul Verhoeven brought to the direction, how much love and care went into the creation of, a, of this movie. When you're watching it for the first time, it, it's these, it, you, you might take it in sub, subconsciously, but it's all there. And I think like the more that you yeah. care to, to watch and the, the, if you like it and you care to look deeper into it, then you start noticing these small things. And I think that that's what makes this movie, in my opinion, a perfect movie because of everything that's going into this. Now, is it is it Citizen Kane? No. There's different genres of movies, but that doesn't mean that this movie isn't in its own right 
a perfect movie or an excellent film. Well, and that's what it's part of what the acting like spoke to me is that there was room for subtlety and people brought that to their to their roles in a space right. in 80s action movies where there's not really a lot of the most subtlety you get in Predator is the lingering shot on the big like high five like muscle handshake thing, right? You know, like right. there's just not a lot of space for that. You have to set an expectation for who RoboCop is. Like what John said, like you want your RoboCop to be the guy who buckles his seatbelt. You want your RoboCop to be the guy who checks his clip before doing a cool gun trick. Like, especially for something that has to be like let loose and monitor for 24 hours. You want your specimen to not have the potential for messing up, which is, I think why they give us the example of Ed 209 is that like, you're basically playing with a gamble here because you're playing with human made machinery and with RoboCop, you're dealing with a Mm. human. And so what better person to use than someone who is by the book and and in that way, the script is more optimistic than dystopian because RoboCop is an avatar for the crushing power of the state. And they entrust mm-hmm. it to someone whose humanity wins out, well, attempts to win out over his programming in the end. So it's mm-hmm. entrusted to someone who will who will take seriously a duty of care when wielding yes. the power of the state. I want to use talking about the direction of this movie to sort of transition into our next segment. But um, this, like I said, this movie is called RoboCop. Everything about it says silly B movie. In fact, it was passed by almost... All of Hollywood, you know, passed on this script. Verhoeven, who was the director of this movie, initially passed on it as well uh, until his wife told him to read it again because he didn't actually finish the script. He read five pages and put it down. I was like, this is ridiculous. Well, he read to. five pages and threw it away. <laughs> and his wife, his wife read it and, and told him to give it another read. And there were things in this movie that, you know, is what led to him taking on the directorial role, directorial role. One of the things that sort of drove him to the project was the idea of uh, uh, RoboCop as the, an American Jesus allegory. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, let me preface this for our religious listeners. This is the director's interpretation. It's not a literal interpretation. It's not the biblical Jesus. It's more like a version representing the collective conscious of America at the time, a violent society with, uh, with a gun infatuation, uh, and how potentially sometimes America looks to people from other countries than in the 80s and arguably probably now. Verhoeven is Dutch, so he has kind of an outsider's take on the whole thing. And we do know that there was 11 revisions of this script, so I, I, I don't really know like how much input came from him versus the writers, but I do feel like that once he came on board, he probably started crafting a lot of this uh, narrative for the movie. I'd also like to point out that in previous episode Holden Hope episodes, Holden has tried to insert political discussions into previous movies. Uh, well, today I picked a movie where he can we can have all the uncomfortable Thanksgiving Day political and religious conversations all at once. Socialism. Holden, you're welcome. Whoop. So I'd like to talk about Verhoeven's interpretation of the American Jesus, as he called it in an interview. Did y'all catch or did y'all see any of these um, in the movie as you were watching it, or is this sort of like a new? take on it for you yeah no absolutely not yeah no this is new to i can me. see it now that i'm reading it but no uh, at the time no did not even <laughs> yeah i wasn't thinking american jesus i wasn't thinking christ allegory at all now i do 
you know, as I was putting together the outline for this movie, like, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I, I just kept coming back to this one. And I hope that the, as this discussion unfolds, we'll kind of sort of see how, like, there are so many satirical elements that are, are really obvious in this script. But I actually think that it goes way deeper into this, this uh, satirical commentary on American culture, just all the way down to how they're presenting RoboCop in this movie. All right. Dead silence. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> well, I think that I can see how a European filmmaker at this point in the 80s and dealing with, uh, you know, the idea of American exceptionalism is not just that America is special um, and destined to do these great things. It's not just a westward expansion um, you know, America deserves its place in the world. American exceptionalism is literally an idea built on the idea that America is better than every other country on earth because of divine right. Mm. Because God has did ordained mm. that America is superior to every other country, um, which is not how it was originally intended when God was included in the founding documents, the founding fathers would listen to that theory and feel like it was incredibly bonkers as, as troubled and problematic as many of the founders were. Um, none of them were like, well, Jesus thinks that America is the best. So that's what is going to win. So based on the idea of where America was in the eighties and, and how Reagan held the vision of America out into the world, what that translated to in terms of foreign policy, the economic power ascendancy of, of America, like at that time and sort of the, the basically uh, the underlying argument of, well, we defeated Hitler. And not only is it because we did that, but because God meant, meant for us to, so everyone should listen to us. I can absolutely see how someone could take this script and be like, well, clearly this is American Jesus and clearly, like all the violence that this, like I can absolutely see how someone could could work that into it, uh, especially yeah. somebody coming from, you know, a European country that has a very different social order, a very different view on uh, race, class, the economy, yeah. political structures, all that sort of stuff. Mm. It and does not speak to me as an American who can think critically about American history. But I absolutely understand how someone could arrive at that and and make the movie that way. Well, I think I think that that was by design. I do think that he potentially wrote some of this stuff in uh, based on, you know, he eventually would go on to write a book uh, called Jesus of Nazareth. Um, I have I just read that. I didn't know that beforehand, but I can see how based on his his interest in Jesus as a, as a person or a character in his mind that he would then potentially start to craft a narrative in this movie that would sort of be to the things that he found interesting. Maddie, go ahead. What? <clears throat> I don't know if you know the answer to this because this is his interpretation, but what makes RoboCop American Jesus? Is it the fact that only in America would a Jesus figure like get justice by shooting people's peepees off and being really violent? <laughs> or is it just the fact that this <laughs> takes place in America or... I yeah, feel and like I have the same question. Like, because like the deliverance of righteous justice, you could make the argument that Judge Dredd does that even more so than Jesus does. You know, sure. while RoboCop is not a redeemer, Jesus is not ever serve as judge, jury, and executioner either. Right. 
Right, which I think that, that is the clear distinction of Mm-mm. potentially why he chose to quote or call it quote American Jesus. Did I just say on, RoboCop is not a redeemer? Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, let's let's break. Uh, here's here's what I wrote down for this. So we definitely have the death and resurrection of Alex Murphy. Sure. The spike through the palm, you know, Murphy's hand was shot off. And then later on, there's a literal spike that comes out of his hand to access computer terminals. Eh, that's kind of whatever. Could be Even sure. if this came directly from the man himself, I feel like like all of these things are a stretch so far, other than the the rebirth or resurrection. Right. I mean, like, I can see how it works. I can see how it works from a very, like, it, it's it's very reliant on imagery, right? To, to really even take that narrative of it being christ-like because all of these things like written down and me thinking back about the movie yeah it makes me think that this could be he could be aligned as such it doesn't it doesn't appear to me as like that's a written in intent with robocop existing but i can see how people can take it as such just because that narrative alone, the Christ narrative, is so bored into our head. It's so thin. And so many like, things. So... I mean, like, I mean, people take Star. It's like it's a Star Wars thing, right? Like Obi Wan Kenobi. We can talk about that. Like, well, but for see, it, it would be different podcast, if George Lucas did an interview where he said <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi is Jesus. Well, right, but George Lucas wrote Star Wars. Right. Right. Paul Verhoeven did not write RoboCop. Yeah. No, he did not. But. Like you said, it went through a lot of rewrites. So I, I don't. Again, I this is I'm I, I might be crafting a narrative, and that's you know we'll, I'll just go with it. But who I mean, who knows what he in that process like all this stuff that he potentially interjected. I, I like RoboCop's not a redeemer. He is in a sense no, he's resurrected. Not. Um, he does not do anything that is Christ-like, including up to and and I think most fulfillingly here um, is not persecuted. Like awful stuff happens to Alex Murphy terrible right. horrific things are done to him but i mean you could you could much more easily make a uh anti-slavery white supremacy argument about robocop than you can i think map a christ narrative onto it. i don't i'm not trying to change your mind these are just the things that i i noticed in the movie based on having read this interview with the director yeah sure all right he challenges the pharisees of the time which is the ocp uh mm. robocop's mm. own people the police force turn on him RoboCop has come to save humanity from itself. At the end of the movie, he literally walks on water, <laughs> which was definitely noted by the director as a very uh, specific choice. Does he though? Um, he walks through it. I, I'm again. I'm not saying that this is the <laughs> biblical Jesus. These are the things that I see in the movie that you know, based on knowing that he has considered that he's crafted the American right, right, Jesus right. Okay. into Sorry, this movie. Sorry, keep going. And I think I think this is where the distinction is made. He wanted to make an American movie. He also was quoted as saying that American action films at the time were super over the top, super violent, like you had mentioned earlier at the time. Well, and I I think he did like fundamentally make a very American action movie, but it is a million percent like scored through with European subversion and criticism of that idea. Right, and I think that that's kind of the. I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. I think he yeah, is yeah, yeah. criticizing. I think he is satirizing what he believes American culture to actually right. be. Right, and yeah. if, if if at the center of American mm. culture is religion, here's my interpretation of your religion, essentially. So it's it's not a fulfillment of biblical prophecy that he becomes a Jesus. It's that he is making his own. 
Americanized version of what he seems thinks Jesus would be. No, no, no. I, perhaps I think it's like here is what you actually worship. Mm. This, mm. this is not. You, I'm, this is this is the distinction okay. when I say American Jesus. Here is what you okay. actually worship. You worship violence. You worship well extreme violence. You worship uh, guns. You worship uh, your place in the world as being this divine right that you just have over. This is what you actually worship. This is your American Jesus. Mm. Well, okay, in okay, that yeah. frame, then yeah, I can see that being a very compelling statement. So of, that itself is satire. Yes. Yeah. A corruption of the Jesus narrative as opposed to an uh, emulation. Right. Because you you pointed out that RoboCop exacts total justice. There is no redemption. He doesn't. He only arrests two people in this movie that we see. The rest of the guys, he kills outright. He is throwing people <laughs> through windows. He's throwing people through glass. Whatever other glass is laying around, he's probably going to throw someone through that. He's shooting people's dicks off. Like he is, an, he is a, a, a total justice system. And it's exacting justice. There is no redemption. To and this it. is one of the things that I think is sort of striking about, uh, like if there's commentary about American policing. You know, and the and the roots of American policing are mm. that, um, you know, the first police in America were were uh, the first police force in America was put together to uh, track down runaway slaves, right? Right. right. Yeah. And the justice built into mm-hmm. that is very, yeah. like, you know, um, thin as opposed to how it is described to people that are deploying that justice at the time. RoboCop's version of justice in the very first call that he goes on is the liquor store robbery, right? Mm -hmm. Now, does he, Mm -hmm. letter of the law, stop the liquor store robbery and prevent those two people from being killed? Yes. Yes. Is their store completely trashed in the process? Correct. Yes. yes. (laughs) And there's... uh, and then he leaves and he's just like, cool, we're done. Like, he thanks. He just walks out without, without the guy. Yeah. And then like, and here's something that I, the, the most dystopian elements of RoboCop are the fact, are the, are the, uh, what ended up being the optimistic parts of it because he stops the rape and shoots that guy mm. in the dick, uh, right. which is that's righteous in the moment justice like it's hard to argue i mean yeah i don't blame him didn't deserve it right yeah absolutely right he's he stops that encounter uh and 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 arrests it from happening not arrest someone but arrest the thing from happening the woman runs to him and wants comfort right right (laughs) and murphy uh like poor people are the only ones in this movie that have or seek empathy like all of the corporate people Mm -hmm. All the con- all like everyone else in the universe, they don't have empathy. It's not a it's not a feeling they're even used to having. Yeah. Nor is it one that they can deliver. That's true. Murphy has empathy, and RoboCop does not at the beginning, right? So she runs to him and and wants wants empathy, like wants comfort. But what he says is, "You have experienced a a trauma. I will connect you with a rape counselor." Right. There are so many. Mm-hmm municipalities in the United States where that doesn't exist today. The news in this dystopian vision of the future is much closer to objective news than you actually find in the real world. Today. Oh, I, I did. I did notice that it was very much just very matter of factly stating what happened. Right. There was no editorialization going right. on. Right. And then they would, and if you wanted a, like someone's view on a thing, they would go and talk to someone. They're still on duty. But what about tomorrow? That's the question we put to people in the crime-plagued Lexington area. They're public servants. 
they got job security. They're not supposed to strike. It's a free society. Except there ain't nothing free, because there's no guarantees, you know? <laughs> You're on your own. There's <laughs> a lot of jungle. <laughs> but it was never like, this guy is right, or look at these things. It was just, here's what's happening out in the world. You are well-informed about what's happening. The people in the universe of RoboCop are well-informed about what's happening out in the world. They only care about it because of how it personally affects them. Like the, the airport in Acapulco being blown up. They don't care about what that means in terms of like the Mexican rebels. They care about that. Now my vacation next week is ruined. Which I found very interesting considering this, this does kind of predate mm -hmm. when news eventually became editorialization. You know, this predates Fox news. It this movie came out two years before the fairness doctrine expired and Fox news went on the air. Right. That's what I was going to ask. What a time uh, you can tell. Cause that was, <laughs> that, that was one of the first, like regardless of how ridiculous the, the, or just how outlandish the news that was happening. It was just like, this thing happened today. Right. Next. Totally free of disinformation. Totally free of bias. Now, just as a side note, the 2014 RoboCop, you know, this movie, this, the 87 version, you know, it's very satirical. So the 2014's version where they try to satire, what they're satiring is editorialization of the news. Right. And that's kind of where the, that's the jumping off point for that movie. Is it as successful? Eh, maybe. It is interesting, but I, yes, to the point, to your point, I noticed that right off uh, and thought that that was really cool or interesting about this movie. And then the city councilman who takes hostages, <laughs> these words come out of his mouth. I want a recount. Yeah. And no matter how it goes, I want my old job back. This movie right. aged so well. Like wine. Incredibly well. <laughs> All of these problems that were projected about what what could be a problem with American society, the this is what you worship, exactly that. Yes. Like it's it's it it's like these perfect projections into the future, which has always been the 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 European socialistic progressive criticism of American society is this is where you are headed. Right. Yeah. George Orwell, Ray Bradbury. And I do think I think again, Josh, thank you. You've provided the natural bridge to our next <laughs> discussion point. Leaving the American, I, I, just final thoughts on, like, I do think that this is Verhoeven's and the writer's versions of uh, American justice. Uh, I will say that the movie does paint the police force in a more altruistic fashion than probably OCP, especially with the, the chief saying that we don't strike. We, we're here. We're civil servants. It's our job to protect people. And so I think they're very careful or maybe this, I don't know if they're being careful or if it's just, that's just of the time. Like I think the movie does paint them in a different light than probably like a modern movie would sort of paint a police force in an action film. Yeah. But in, the, in this instance, like the police force, they are, they are, they have very little agency because of the corporatist structure on top of them. They are definitely getting it from both sides. <laughs> the, the amount of crime and then the fact that they're, uh, they're, uh, commodities are, Right, exactly, and uh, and uh, like another, uh, like uh, like, and this is the last thing I'll say about this. The another element, Maddie, to your point about how well the movie aged in Dick Jones's speech. He's like, we are doing business in areas that are traditionally nonprofit, military, prisons, healthcare, hospital, the police. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, and mm -hmm. we even saw a commercial for a plastic heart that was uh, a Yamaha brand heart. Yeah. Yamaha plastic heart financing, um, and remember, so we care. This. Like, <laughs> yeah yes every aspect about it is satirical um i feel like this movie is a scathing indictment on american culture which is posing as a b movie action thriller i mean maybe the overall statement is that american culture 
is the same as a B-movie action thriller. Oh, interesting. Got him. There are obvious superficial satirical elements. Um, Then there are even deeper satirical elements, uh, American Jesus already having been one of them. Um, Then we kind of get into the corporate privatization of civil services because of government ineptitude. Uh, At the beginning of the movie, we see that Space Force is in full effect and completely fucked up as we would expect. Uh, The president visits outer (laughs) space and have a gravity mishap. And then we have a a laser misfire that kills a bunch of people on the uh, West Coast. Santa Barbara. Right. (laughs) Including two former U.S. presidents. Yeah. (laughs) Who had their retirement homes. One of whom almost certainly had to be Richard Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we see the breakdown of civil services um like but like i said the movie is careful to kind of show the police force in a more altruistic manner and also it's a very inclusive police force everyone just showers naked and it's mm-hmm. no there was one boob gender gender inequities don't play a role in the in the modern police force as is represented in robocop because of the breakdown of civil services uh, we have the corporate privatization of all civil services um something that was being talked about 30 years ago and something that's still being talked about now that corporations will take care of us the free market will sort it all out so this idea of elites taking over social services and taking away the possibility of self-governance for poor communities like you might find, say, in old Detroit is a very real thing that was very really uh, and still to this day is having this huge effect on people's lives uh, in major cities in Michigan, not up to including Flint, Michigan, which as of today still does not have clean water and has been responsible for the poisoning of hundreds of children and at least 12 deaths from an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease because of a complete lack of accountability to the governed of the people that are doing the governing. It's that idea of the the laws really only existing for poor people, right? Like if you're rich and you're yeah. white, the law doesn't apply to you, which we see literally in the movie with right. Robocop's fourth directive, right? If you try to arrest yeah. this corporate, you know, anyone in the corporation. You shut down. And that's a that's a projection 30 years into the future hmm. of a thing that very really actually happened. Corporations are always going to be more concerned about the bottom line than they are going to be concerned about making sure that everyone has access to civil services. Right. 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 Which is one of the like there's a little detail when they're in the executive washroom and it's like this is the privileged space where the executives get to go and you got a card to get in. But even when they are pissing, they are reminded of the stock price. Right. <laughs> That's right. Because it's on the LED readout right in front of them. I didn't even notice that, yeah. Expanding on that just a little bit, like we see how OCP is creating creating the demand for its services and supplying the service. They're creating demand by employing the criminals in the movie to create more crime and more crime taxes the police force, which they then in turn want to take over. So they're creating the demand for their own products. They are systematically involved in all aspects of this. And it's not about providing services for people. It's about control. Go ahead, Maddie. Do you know when else that happened? During Reagan's presidency and the war on drugs, when he created the drug problem and then was like, don't worry, I'll clean it up. The most metaphorical uh, American criticism shot to me is RoboCop's giant robot foot crushing the vials of drugs. (laughs) In the factory scene, yeah. when he's like going after Boddicker. First of all, 
how inefficient was that factory? There's already so much coke in the air. Right. I don't understand how anybody is doing anything. It's just flying. A lot of waste. Yeah. Even before the gunfight, there's a lot of stuff. That's absolutely what happened in Reagan's time. And you even see it, you know, like the old man who is painted as sort of a neutral character, except when he's speaking directly about the business. And when Kearney gets blown to shreds by Ed 209, at first he's like, this is terrible. I cannot believe this. I'm so disappointed. And Dick Jones is like, I'm sure it's only a glitch. Temporary setback. You call this a glitch? Ah, it's just a glitch. And instead of it being like, he killed a man right in front of us. This is terrible. He's like, this is going to delay us by months <laughs> and it's going to cost us $50 million in interest payments. Nobody in the corporate world gives a damn about like uh, life is so cheap to them. And also, did you notice that uh, there were people trying to get the body off of the buildings and preserve the model building of of uh what is it of a yeah. delta, delta city delta city and yeah. the guy is yelling at them to not to stop Don't touch, touch the body him. yeah i yeah. thought that was funny you know just the same way that that corporations engineer demand for their products by creating a supply economy right they're like we're going to create a demand for law enforcement and robots in this city by by oppressing this community and and engineering crime and putting that out in the world you know you there's a there's a there's a through line of of Dick Jones like is he a bad guy and is he a criminal because he's profiting directly off of Clarence Boddicker's drug sales or whatever it is and the answer is no it's just good business <laughs> right it's not even that he's twirling his mustaches and doing these subversive illegal things that he wants to do it's just the law does not matter to him and does not apply to him because he's protecting a, a bottom line and, and is delivering value to the shareholders. And the movie clearly takes a stance on that by saying that, that it is wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think perhaps that that was something that I probably noticed more because like, that's kind of how I feel about the idea of corporations um, allowing corporations just to figure it all out is because they, they potentially mess up things just as much as government potentially messes up things is there's no right answer. One thing's not going to be a complete fix all for anything. Well, and it's because they don't serve the public trust. They serve shareholders, right? Which is the, a big, a big picture criticism of American politics is that politicians don't serve the public trust. They serve their donor class, which is essentially delivering value to shareholders. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of Penal Code 113, Section 9. You now have 5 seconds to comply. This movie is incredibly violent. Uh, would it be fair to say that the violence depicted in this movie is a satirical element as well? Yes. And not just violence for violence sake. Yeah, no. Which is why I can't see this movie. Um, I, I can't picture a PG-13 movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's real weird. I, I can because um, I've seen it and it was amazing. 
<laughs> well, I and also- I think it's very intentionally <laughs> understood to be satirical. And I think the proof of that is someone get a paramedic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. After that guy's just ribbon. He's literally jello. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but Murphy's <laughs> saved. Kind of. The Ed 209 massacre was extremely excessive. Murphy's death was extremely horrifying, like uh, torturous, maybe gratuitous, but I think that was the point. Right. Well, that's like that quasi Scandinavian body horror stuff because you're about to go on a body horror journey with him. Mm-hmm. So they had to they had to show you that and the and the, they had to completely dehumanize him. We will and then put him through this other thing. Uh, I will say Maddie and I were both pretty struck by him getting shot in the head. Um just because I knew it was I like I could see that it was an animatronic kind of you know it's an animatronic right that and i don't uh, like that aligned for me but but also that last blow to the head like that was that was some shock value there like i i usually don't feel that i'm like as as violent as movies are today like and as much as i've seen i think something that amplifies that is how casual bodiger is about it yeah Mm -hmm. Right. It's very just business as usual. Like, like this is my TPS report, and now I'm getting out of mm-hmm. here, and we're going to go to to the to the next job site. Mm-hmm. And to bring it full circle, I'm probably keep forcing this narrative, but I do think that that still plays into the uh, Verhoeven's American Jesus. This was the crucifixion of Alex Murphy. It was over the top. It was excessive. It was torturous. It was lasting. And I think maybe that was why I've come around on this. Now I, now I'm like, uh, now I'm on the, uh, the satirical American Jesus thing. I'm, I'm into it. And if you were going to stage an American version of a crucifixion in the, in an eighties action film, this is it. (laughs) You probably don't think I'm a very nice guy. Do you? Buddy, I think you're slime. (laughs) (laughs) See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. And for just a moment, uh, Maddie thought that Ann Lewis was going to be RoboCop. Okay, because remember my groundbreaking <laughs> theory that he was going to get seriously injured and become RoboCop? Mm-hmm. I thought when he was so clearly dead, I was like, oh, is she going to be RoboCop? And then well, I was just disappointed. Tale, just, yeah. At the end? Oh, yes. Yeah. No. At the end, also, I, I thought, thought they were going to oh, be. Yeah. I thought they were going to be a robo couple. <laughs> there it is. He was saving Credits. that this whole this. time. Mm. Robo couple. <laughs> I, I I think that's a movie we should make now. Robo couple. Yeah. That that clearly is RoboCop two, right? Check the internet. I'm sure it's been made. That is the one thing that this movie fails at as is being a, a solid romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Bitches leave. <laughs> All right, so uh, last question, then we'll get into our trivia and our game. Um, can you rap satirical comment in an action film rapper and have it succeed in teaching the general movie-going public? Yes and no. You mentioned Fight Club here, and am I wrong by saying that most men who love Fight Club, Club don't get Fight Club? I would, Is that I a would fair agree assumption? with that statement. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Like yeah. I I I didn't understand uh, what's wrong with Fight Club until I watched it again a couple of years later, 
And then I was like, oh, wait, this is really messed up. This is, I should not have liked this movie like I did when I first saw it. There's a whole study done on this by Ohio State University that's like comparing how, how audiences even interpret satire and how like the layman doesn't even put together upon first viewing satire. So I say no. I say no. I think the general movie going public perhaps completely miss the point or don't absorb that and to see any real depth behind it, perhaps. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's true. I think that's a a risk that a lot of people took in the 80s and 90s was that they had the opportunity to make satire and really make something hard-coded against something that's happening contemporarily. And I think that's why we see, like, I don't, uh, that... <clears throat> that gives us like a soft spot in our hearts and an enthusiasm to love the movies that we love is that like they took a chance and they took an opportunity. This is again, coming back to conversations we've had in former podcasts about just the risks that people take in general. Right. I think that today there isn't that risk taken risk is it directly involved with satire and the fact that the I think the lowest common denominator or the the greatest amount of people don't understand satire is a big reason and why popular movies today don't go the depths that RoboCop or any of these other awesome movies that have a lot to say go. Big studios, probably. Yeah. I think it's making a little bit of a comeback, though. I mean, if you look at... Uh, I do, too. I mean, I think, it, I think a really good... Um, Recent example is Jojo Rabbit. I was hmm. just thinking of Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. All of that being said, that is why bringing it completely full circle, <laughs> RoboCop is the perfect movie. Thank you. You're welcome. Any final thoughts on the movie uh, before we get on to our trivia? Yes. I've, I've come around. I, I understand why you love this movie. I think it is. I think it is a great movie, but you have to look below the surface. It's not hard to look below the surface, but... I thought it was pretty gutsy that one of the first things RoboCop did when he was turned on was that he got in his car and he decided that he was going to drive north on I-35 at 6 o'clock and (laughs) thought that he could go fast at all. That's real bravery. Yeah, that's how you know RoboCop is solid is he's going to like, I'm going to try out some traffic real quick. I um I think that RoboCop is is fundamentally an existential question and the existential question is can we overcome our programming? Oh. Ooh. And that's uh societal programming, it's economic programming, it's situational programming and fundamentally we get all the way to the end and it's and the the avatar for that struggle is Murphy and he is trying to overcome the programming that was built into him by a corporation uh, and what I think the only sort of ultimately unsatisfying thing about this movie is that he gets to the end and he can't. He still needs permission mm. to right. do the right thing. Right. Meaning the old man has to fire Dick Jones before he can deliver justice. Right. Yeah. And you got to stick around for the second movie to see where he completely annihilates his programming and just becomes Murphy again. Was a ro- right. rogue what? RoboCop? Yeah, I actually really like that. It's not something I had considered until you said it, and I, I think that it's uh, completely spot on. We have some trivia. Um, we don't necessarily need to read through all these. Josh, would you like to take us through 
the uh, the trivia section. The high points, I'd love to. Oh. Um, you know, when you uh, submit a movie for rating, like a uh, bunch of old fuddy-duddies got to look at it and tell you if it's going to be X or R or PG or whatnot. Um, they had to recut this movie 11 times before it was lowered from X to R rating. Little history is X was that the precursor for NC 17 or is that beyond NC 17? NC 17 became what X used to be. X is X is so much cooler. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Originally considered to play Alex Murphy slash Robocop were Sylvester Stallone, which would have been a nightmare. (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger, which would not have worked. (laughs) Uh, And, and, and this, I would actually, I would love to see uh, Rutger Hauer. Right. Way too, way too Blade Runnery, right? It's extremely like, hey, I'm moving from an Asimov novel into a Bradbury novel. You know, it's yeah. like it would it would have been a little bit too direct. Uh, Robocop suit was the most expensive item on set, between half a million and a million uh, for the suit. There were six versions, three of which were battle damaged. Oh. Um, they shot in Texas in August, which meant um, on some days, uh, every twenty minutes or so, they had to take a break and pump air-conditioned, uh, high-powered fans into the suit to try and keep, uh, basically, uh, Peter Weller alive. Right. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I mean, that's just got to be hell. Yeah. Uh, the first time they, the, the, the suit production ran long, so they didn't get a chance to try it on or do camera tests or anything. No camera tests for the RoboCop shoot. It right. showed up on set <laughs> cool. the day that they had to put it on, <laughs> uh, and it took him 10 hours. To get into it, your day is done. There, your day is done. Yeah, that's work after that. That's the day. That's a wrap. Uh, Let's see here. In a 2013 interview, Edward Neumeyer, and I hope I'm uh, Neumeyer. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly. um, The film script uh, was starting to play into reality. We are now living in the world that I was proposing in RoboCop from 1987. How big corporations will quote take care of us, and how they actually won't. And that's uh, that's very true. Yeah. Police cars were modified Ford Tauruses. One of the main competitors of the Taurus at the time was the Pontiac 6000. The car the villains use is the 6000 SUX. <laughs> and not so subtle jab at the Pontiac 6000. This is some real like automotive Michigan Motor City inside baseball <laughs> stuff. That's and hilarious. I love it. Yeah, the trauma team portrayed in the movie trying to save Murphy was a real hospital trauma team. I come back to this scene over and over again. And I think about how completely dispassionate they are about yeah. it in a movie where everyone is searching for empathy, searching for comfort. Like there is none yeah. in that mm. scene. I thought They're that professionals, too. right? But it's just very clinical all the way down. Yeah. Let's see here. Their dialogue was mostly ad-libbed, which is fun. Uh, Can you fly, Bobby? And uh, other other fa- favorite Clarence Boddicker lines were also ad-libbed. Oh, I love um, him. Yeah. No, he's he's the best. Okay, uh, I love the melting man scene when Emil uh, gets toxic wasted and then gets destroyed by a car. Love that. Uh, that scene uh, was heavily objected to by the MPAA, go figure, and they demanded to have it removed. However, they eventually backed down, and this someone's going to have to explain this to me. They backed down when they found out that in most test screenings, the scene elicited the most positive reaction from screenings uh, or from the test audience such that it was eventually passed without any cuts. Does that actually influence... MPAA decisions if the, if the kids love it if the streets are here for it <laughs> no i i think i think that this is probably miswritten perhaps i don't think the MPAA has anything to do with test screenings no they're completely separate from that so i wonder that that scene was not put in 
in the version that I saw, which I think was the TV version, obviously. Yeah. I, I, I think it made its way back into the director's cut. I think I don't think the MPAA would have anything to do with the test screens, and I think perhaps that the studios were considering taking it out, but the audience, they kept it in because of the audience reaction, and then probably it went to the MPAA. That was one of okay. my favorite scenes by far, for sure. Those practical really? effects were so fun. <laughs> yes, I was like, what? It's just, it was, it was a good time. I don't know why, but I was watching this movie going, oh, Maddie, I feel so bad. She's going to hate this. Also, Paul McCrane earns every dollar he has ever been paid in every movie he's in. The guy that plays Emil. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's great. phenomenal. I watched ER two seasons longer than I should have because of Dr. Romano. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we love you, Paul McCrane. Uh, let's see here. Uh, in the scene where Bob Morton is killed by Clarence Bodiger, he inserts a disc into a player that has the Dick Jones video on it. This was 10 years before the DVD was introduced to the world. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, this is a little, this is another one of these little detail things that I love. Uh, Murphy doesn't start recording Clarence Boddicker's admission of working with Dick Jones until after he completes the Miranda Wright statement, anything you say will be used in a court of law. I like that too, but it wow. doesn't change the fact that while he's giving him the Miranda rights, he's throwing them through every piece of glass <laughs> in that well, smart. I mean, there are definitely some civil rights. <laughs> it wasn't in his directives. There. Well, and I love like all the criminals that are in the police precinct station. It's very got like a huge night court vibe of people like, I'm a repeat offender. I repeat, I will offend again. This is like total comedy. It and is. then this horror yeah. show is playing out with that as the backdrop. This movie is a comedy and I will die on that hill. <laughs> oh, I believe it. I can't argue with that. That literally ends our conversation about RoboCop. Um, we need to pick next week's movie we need to get to our game um josh can you stick around for that or do you I, need i love games okay so um who who wants to go first uh maddie or holden? maddie wants to go first i do all right so holden is sequestering himself uh in... <laughs> oh but he's right, he's maddie. right next to me maddie i think you're gonna do pretty good at this quiz i've studied but you always do good at all the quizzes. I think you're determined to win this week. Because I study. Here we go. All right. Question number one. Okay. The food that RoboCop ate tasted like what? Baby food. Good. Number two. What TV show did Murphy's son watch? TJ Laser. Great. Uh, how many directives did RoboCop have? Three, then four. Okay. I know these. This is so exciting. What does ED, what does the ED in ED 209 stand for? Enforcement drone. Mm, mm. No, droid, droid. Thank Enforcement you. droid. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, what does OCP stand for? Oh, Omni Consumer Products. I thought I'm going to win. Hard. Yeah. OCP <laughs> yeah. is looking to tear down dilapidated sections of the city and build a designer city. What is that city called? Delta City. Okay. Finish RoboCop's signature line. Or say RoboCop's signature line. Oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know it. These are not the droids you were looking for. <laughs> uh, no. No? Okay. Good try, though. All right. Before his gang finishes him off, Boddicker blows off Murphy's what? Hand. What holiday is celebrated during the RoboCop 
coming online sequence. New Year's. During the film, we see bits of a balding man on a TV program. He has a catchphrase. What is that catchphrase? <laughs> uh, I'd buy that for a dollar. Oh, boy. All right, Maddie, nine out of ten. Good job. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are You're going to be so mad when I tell you what the line is. Oh, so no, do you want to know what it is? Am. Do you want to just wait to, uh, when Holden ah, guesses it? Or guess it? Yeah, yeah. Well, fine. wait. No, it's fine. I don't it's think fine. Holden will right. get it. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I'm going to have to get a little bit less predictable in my, my question approach. Uh, all right. Let's call Holden in. Let's see how he does. The sound of her voice makes me think she did, she did good. Uh, she did terrible. Yeah. Maddie, I do want to say that uh, I appreciate being in a space where the love for Kurtwood Smith is real. <gasps> I mean, I mainly know him from that 70s show, I'll be honest. But he's iconic. Yeah, he's a real one. I like to maybe think that this was his life before the 70s show. Like that's him settling down. <laughs> There's actually a lot of internet fan fiction about that. Okay. Like like, <laughs> like Red is actually Clarence Boddicker like in hiding. Or that Clarence Boddicker is who Red turns into. Yeah. Like when the apocalypse happens. I buy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's canon. I, Holden, are you ready? Yep, as ready as are, I'll ever be. All right, here we go, Holden. You're gonna do. You're gonna do great. The food RoboCop ate or eats tasted like what? Like baby food. What TV show did Murphy's son watch? Oh, uh, Laser Cop. Cop Laser. I don't know. Was it the Bionic Cop? You're very close. Cop with a laser. Laser gun. <laughs> laser. Laser. Uh, police. Oh, zazer, zazer, pazer, razor. I don't know. I don't know. Taser. Okay. Okay. Well, you 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 got half of half of you got half of it. Mm. How many directives did RoboCop have? Three. Final Two. answer. <laughs> Two. You want to take another guess? One. Okay. Hold in. Nine. All right. I don't know. <laughs> Maddie won. Can we Nine just can we get to, to the can, can we cut to the chase that Maddie won? Do you want do you not want to take the rest of the quiz? Are you forfeiting? She won. I can, can tell you she won by the look on her face. I'm just smiling. Do you want to continue? Or yeah, let's continue you? the quiz. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how to proceed. Yeah, whatever is fucking. Okay. Well, so That's the TV fine. show Sun, Murphy's Sun Watch was TJ Laser. He had four directives: three known and one not unknown. Hmm. Until it was known. Plot twist. <laughs> All right. What does ED in ED209 stand for? Erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Somebody's compensating for something with that droid. Look at him. Uh, final answer? Y- y- uh, yeah, I don't know. E- e- electronic dog. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it was enforcement droid. Uh, what does OCP stand for? Omni consumer p- uh, p- 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 products. Good. Yeah. All right. OCP is looking to tear down dilapidated sections of the city and build a designer city. What is that city called? Uh, Delta City. Good. Delta Farce. Tell me, what's RoboCop's signature line? He says it twice in the movie. Um, is it is what he this, says to that guy before he dies? He says, like... Um, gonna have to narrow it down. <laughs> I will say that he says it to a meal both times. uh, Yeah, at the gas station and at the steel mill. Mm -hmm. I know the moments that he says it. Don't know what he said. I don't. I don't even know that. But what does Um, he say? He said. He said. He said. um, 
Uh, put the gun down and I'll take you alive. <laughs> uh, something about taking him alive, dead or alive. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. Dead or alive, you're coming um, with me. Before his gang finishes him off, Boddicker blows off Murphy's what? Right arm. Hand. Right hand, right yeah, arm. It's his hand. He does. He does. His hand yeah. is off, and then his arm is off. So which one first? What holiday is ce- celebrated during the Robocop coming online sequence? The new year? Uh, last question. During the film, we see bits of a balding man on a TV program. His catch, and He has a catchphrase. What is that catchphrase? Um, I'll buy that for a dollar. Good job. All right. I would like to announce this week's winner. Maddie, you have won the quiz. Thank you, but tell him how close he was. Holden, you were very close. Always happens. You only you only needed three more correct answers to match. So her. really, you were not close at all. I thought <laughs> he was close. Was she, she got nine out of ten? She did. Yeah. You got and you got <laughs> six out of ten. Typical Maddie. <laughs> I thought he did better than that. You are the champion of RoboCop. Congratulations. Uh, do you have a movie for us for next week? Oh, yeah, I do. We're going to watch the iconic, not from this decade, we're watching Clueless. I'm clueless as to what this movie's about. (laughs) My wife will be so happy. She's been trying to get me to watch this movie for as long as we've been together, and I've resisted it until now. You're going to love it. I choose all my movies for Tiffany. That's true, actually. God, Clueless. Come on. I have not seen Clueless, and I have resisted it for as long as it's been out. This is a perfect bridge uh, of of satire like that. You want to talk about a a tight, well-made, well-built, perfect movie. There's no fat in any scene in Clueless. But is it too similar to this one? Should I want to do something <laughs> is different? Is Clueless too <laughs> similar to RoboCop? <laughs> something no. I never thought I'd say. <laughs> okay. Like I I'm not kidding, man. Like the craft, the writing, it's like the it's like the pilot from Cheers. Ooh. Like Ooh, so perfectly built. Like it's so good. The craft was a great movie. That's some high No, I didn't I didn't mean the craft. I mean <laughs> the craft was also great, but it's not in the same league as Clueless or the Cheers pilot. Well, we have mm-hmm. to we have to shut this down. Um Josh, thank you so so much for joining us with our discussion today. We yes. thank you tremendously. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I didn't uh, talk too much. And uh, this was really, really fun. And I was glad to get to talk uh, deeply about one of my one of my favorite movies that I think uh, is underappreciated. Yes. So this was awesome. Thank you so much. Greatest movie of all time, as are all the movies that I will be presenting on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Tune in next episode when we will talk about Clueless. Y'all have a wonderful weekend. So long. See y'all later. Bye.